I'll bring up during the show. Um, sorry, I'm eating chicken strips. Um, no, I won't bring up that I'm eating chicken strips because I'll be done by then. Um, Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. Here we are in 2017. Bill, how's it feeling? <laughs> oh, great, man. I am, like, slamming the caffeine. Woohoo! Well, we're not actually in 2017. I got two more days of overloading caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 2017 can't come fast enough. <laughs> How you doing today, Bill? Uh, a little gassy. Wait, I think I've said that in the past. No, actually, I'm not a little gassy. I'm I'm a very comfortable. Gassy. <laughs> I'm a lot gassy. Gassy, Bill. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what do we got going? What's 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 new in comics? Tell me, give me something. New? What's new in comics? <sighs> Civil War's on Netflix. And for anybody interested in Civil War, there was a commentary on the Two True Freaks website back in June. Shh. Don't ask how we did that. It takes away from the magic. It's an illusion. <laughs> uh, new in comics. Uh, I have nothing new, really, in comics, because I didn't get any really comics gifts for Christmas. I think I told you I got my Lego, my Darth Vader Lego shirt my daughter got me. And my wife got me the three-volume Star Wars Encyclopedia. Was not expecting that. Yeah, I got a uh, a new figure for the uh, Curio cabinet. I got a Borg to go with these Star Trek guys. Ooh. I am sp- Spocutus of Borg. You're Wilcutus. No, I was doing you. Oh. You would be... Spocutus, Spataris, Paul Cutis. Oh, he's a cute. Oh, yeah. But, but but I would be. I am Bill of Porg. <laughs> that that's that's a that's that's only the fat Borg. They assimilate you, and then all of a sudden, all the Borg <laughs> would start drinking warm Mountain Dew. <laughs> well, they are. You know, they are. They already have that green color going on everywhere. That's what it is. Maybe they consume large quantities of Diet Mountain Dew. That's why they're so pale and edgy and angry all the time. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. But I don't like it being like 98 degrees all the time. Oh, God, it's so hot being a Borg. Must be those those thick leather outfits they wear. Oh, and they chafe? You got to put powder in first, you know. You'd be the only. Wait. You'd be the only Borg who wears compression socks. <laughs> hey guys, turn on the air. I'm a little hot. Sweating is futile. One hundred of one hundred. That'd be me, you know. Or they could do my weight, you know. Two eighty. Two eighty of three hundred. I fluctuate. Sometimes I hit three hundred. Yeah, I remember I laughed one time looking. I was watching the system, uh, the systems, the Simpsons, and you know Homer was trying to reach two forty. I'm like, two forty. I'll never see. Oh wait, no, too late. <laughs> That's when he was trying to gain gain weight so he could become he could be uh, disabled. Yeah, he was, he was, he was wearing walking a around. He was walking around town with a muumuu. That looks so comfortable. <sighs> no comment. No, not on that one. <laughs> so Bill and I were both really energetic today. First, yeah. Bill, what, what book did you pick? Well, in the long-standing tradition, I've started, decided to start off the new year right, and uh, yeah, I didn't bring a book. Huh. And and I being I worked, almost, I had work to do. I had, I, 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 yeah, I know, I'm full of excuses. I was almost equally energetic because I had a book prepped from back in. Uh, October. Back in horror month that that I never covered, 
So I'm bringing that to the table today so that I didn't have to prep something. How sad is that? Uh, well, it's because Scott's still on assignment for the mouse. He's a whole hard-working mouse. Look at, wait, that's a cold-blooded snake. Uh, that's not right. It's cold-hearted snake, isn't it? Cold-hearted snake, that's right. He's a cold-hearted mouse. Hey, look into his eyes. Ha <laughs> ha. He's been telling lies. So, the book that I had left over from Horror Month was Astonishing Tales number 24 in June of 1974, and that was actually picked for uh when we were Giant? doing Giants. Uh-huh. And we did the uh the what you call it? The Living Colossus. Uh, Living Pharaoh or whatever the hell his name was. Well, yeah, yeah, because that—that's right. Because Scott and I broke that, broke that up. So this would have been the third one, but we took so long to cover the graphic novel that we never got to your book. Yeah. So I had Astonishing Tales number twenty-four, which featured it, the Living Colossus, and I picked that one because he's in battle with Fin Fang Foom, and I just really this this was my first introduction to Fin Fang Foom. I remember when this book was new on the stands. Uh, it's cover, the, the cover date is June of 74, and the on-sale date is March 19th of 1974. Cost a quarter. And the cover is credited to Larry Lieber for pencils and Frank Giacoya for ink. Now, I was totally unfamiliar with Larry Lieber doing any penciling, hmm. so I'm a little confused by that. But the cover looks pretty good to me. It shows it, the Living Colossus, who's like a giant purple stone creature... And he's in battle with Fin Fang Foom. Uh, it is Which... probably about 100 feet tall with fairly generic features. Fin Fang Foom is a giant dragon-like creature who wears swim trunks. And it is holding a telephone pole over his head as Fin Fang Foom is karate chopping it in half. Hassan chop! Fin Fang Foom chop! little side note on Fin Fang Foom... Um... I recently was playing by Marvel's Avengers, uh, excuse me, Marvel Lego Avengers, stumbled across Fin Fang Foom as a playable character once you completed his task. And his task was he was opening a uh, a Frogurt shop. And he, you have to go around and collect ingredients for him. But he's like, but, but through the process, he's like, yes, um, Fin, Fang's, Fin Fang Foom's fine Frogurt Blah, 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 but it was basically all words with F. So he's like, yes, soon I will be able to open the F, 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 So that was a nice little chuckle. Also, on a second side note of Fin Fang Foom, I have a giant hero click figure of Fin Fang Foom in the green shorts. Ooh. You got to wonder where he gets those shorts made, first of all. And he's got two different colors because he also has purple, but not here. And he's got the cutout in it for his tail. For his tail, yeah. Like, do you think he ever gets it confused? Oh wait, that's 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 my tail hole. Whoops, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> when he's when he's trying to seduce uh, some lady dragon. <laughs> what you, have we? You here? realize you realize your leg is sticking out your tail hole, and your tail holes. You know, whoa, whoa, oh, sorry. The the story itself is titled Five Claws of Death, and it's written by Tony Isabella. It's penciled by Dick Ayers and Larry Lieber, inked by Vince Coletta, and lettered by Dave Hunt. It's colored by Linda Lessman and edited by Roy Thomas. It, it the Living Colossus first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 14, and Fin Fang Foom first appeared in Strange Tales number 89. Uh, they were both uh, in uh, the early 1960s. And they were both created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, interestingly enough. But the story itself opens with a splash page showing It, who looks to be about 50 feet tall. They're not 100 where he was, like he was in the actual issue. And he's, I'm sorry, he's standing there with uh, this woman, Diane Cummings, who is the estranged fiancé of Bob O'Brien, whose mind currently resides within the Living Colossus. In front of him and in the background are some gargoyle invaders leaving to return to their homeworld. That's followed with a two-page two splash where Fin Fang Foom attacks the Colossus, 
catching him off guard because the two had fought alongside one another to defeat the invaders. Fin Fang Foom is using some type of dragon karate to attack, and it seems that his mind is being controlled by an evil scientist named Dr. Vault, who is suffering from some type of terminal disease and wants to use the Colossus as his new body. The police arrive at this battle of the Titans and create a diversion which the Colossus uses to make his escape. He dives into some water where he makes his way to a sea door that leads to Dr. Volt's cavern, cavernous headquarters. It's been abandoned, so the Colossus uses Dr. Volt's vault to store the giant statue while he returns his consciousness to his human form, which is currently in a morgue because everyone thought he was dead. So when he <laughs> wakes up and nearly I got gives... better! <laughs> no one nearly gives one dude a heart attack. They release him from the hospital without figuring out why he was in a death-like coma. That could reoccur at any time. Oh, you're in perfect health. Go you ahead, go, leave. Please go. The HMO ain't paying for you to stay here, pal. You're not dead. Get out. So then Diane Cummings comes into the room in tears, and Bob tries to blow her off because she shouldn't be wasting her life with a wheelchair-bound dude. Oh, yeah. yeah did Bob we, is in did, a wheelchair because did, of some did, type of accident. Did we fall in this, into a Charlton Romance comic for a second? It feels that way. <laughs> anyway, she refuses to let him blow her off. And he reminds... It reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where George has a girlfriend that refuses to allow him to break up with her. When he, I don't know if, if anybody's familiar with that. But I, I, <laughs> he just keeps trying and she just won't listen to him. So Bob flashes back to the history of the Living Colossus. The flashback actually seems to use the art from the prior covers including the image of Fin Fang Foom, the same way. Cut to the studio where there's a brewing subplot between a TV mogul and a diva-like cigarette-holding using star, cigarette-holding <laughs> using star, Grant Marshall. The two argue over some dopiness, followed by an encounter with a rough guy, but that's it for now with that subplot. Back to the main story where Fin Fang Foom reappears at Groman's Chinese Theater, still being controlled by the evil Dr. Volt. He does this to lure out the Colossus, who eventually complies, and the battle is on. The dragon uses his super dragon foo to knock the Colossus into a building and decimate it. They both grab street, street po light poles to attack, and the dragon quickly knocks the pole out of the Colossus's hands. He batters the Colossus into a, into a pole, knocking down electric lines, which have a more severe impact on the dragon. The Colossus give, goes on the off offensive, and we learn that the electric shock disrupts Dr. Volt. Excuse me. We learn that the electric shock disrupted Dr. Volt's control of the dragon. Fin Fang Foom informs the Colossus of this by drawing an excellent likeness of Volt on the street using his fingernail. Alicia Masters looks like she has some competition. <laughs> Cut to Dr. Volt's lab, where his Teddy Roosevelt-looking cohort is lambasting him for his failure, and as he starts to leave, is disintegrated by the Doctor, who vows that he will not rest until he inhabits the Colossus. Now, interestingly enough, just as a side point, this was the last issue of Astonishing Tales featuring this particular character, and if my memory serves me correctly from when I did a little research, the story is picked up in an issue of The Hulk, where Dr. Vault does actually take control over it, and uh, the Hulk just kind of pummels him into uh, pebbles. Oof. Ouch. So. Now, this was a book that I you know, had it's sad. read. There's, there's, there's just not enough Teddy Roosevelt cosplay to go around and just zapping guys, you know. I mean... Because... Because I'm assuming that's what Doc, what uh, Doc Braun was going for, you know. Because yeah, he <laughs> ah, boy, he does. He it's like he stepped into a giant bug zapper. Yeah. <laughs> he was dissolved in the Kirby crackle. Had you ever read this one before? No, no. That's well, good. Glad you did now. No, it, it's it's it's. It, it it's cool. We've got Fin Fang Foom. He's looks like he's a little PO'd at the people at uh, the Chinese, uh, you know, doing the Chinese New Year or something. You know, it's a good thing he didn't think that was like a lady dragon. Well, hello, what have we here? 
<laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> Excuse me while I while I twist my trunks around. Ah! I love the cop that's shooting Fang Foom in the ear. Kabow! 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 Where, where is that one? <laughs> that's on page 23. Kabow, oh, yeah, look at kabow, that. Kabow! Fin Fu was giving him a dirty look too. Like what? <laughs> and the cop saying he took three rounds at point blank range and didn't even flinch. I'm a dead man. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he even says it. Good lord, if he gets me in that grip of his, I'm dead meat. And again, if you've got time enough to say that, you got time enough to move. Get out of the way. Buddy gets saved by the living colossus. I love the dragon Fu though. Once he just he just throws these these karate moves on him or you know whatever it is I I don't know martial arts. Kachum. That's that's one of the dragon foo sound effects. Yeah, he's got that flying kick. He's got like the leg up when he kicks him into the building, and then he's scrump. He f- jumps over. Uh, yeah, he's he's there, and then they're like doing sword fighting with the with the light balls. I, I thoroughly fact, enjoyed got this some issue. Moves. I mean, it's all, not all, it's it's a lot of it is just, you know, you know, stereotypical and predictable and ridiculous. But, you know, this is, I know this is Bronze Age, but it, it almost reminds me of the Silver Age stories, which kind of fit with the characters that he's using here. And I just get a big kick out of it. And I, I think the funniest thing to me is that Fin Fang Foom uses his fingernail to draw Dr. Volt in the sand, and it looks just <laughs> like him. He's an accomplished artist, aside from wanting to be a restaurateur, at least in the Marvel Lego game. <laughs> He's drawing a face in the street, and I'd recognize it anywhere. It's Dr. Volt. He even has his bad hair hairstyle on him, too. Yeah. He looks more like Frankenstein's monster. When uh, when when um, it was played by Sir Christopher Lee... Remember when he he played the monster, and he had that bad bowl hair, haircut. Oh yeah, okay. I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, haven't. But... Big, I wasn't big on the, uh, oh. the Hammer films, but but I, I'm pretty sure I know which one you mean. Yeah, that's what he kind of looks like. And... I, I like at the end that like when uh, when Fin Fang Foom swims away, it reminds me of the end of uh, King Kong Godzilla. versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh wow! Next issue was Deathlock. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Is that the first appearance of Deathlock? I believe it is. Wow. Love me some Deathlock. As created by uh, Roy Rich, Thomas, Rich Buckler. Rich Buckler. I what was it? Rich? I believe it's fully Rich Buckler's creation. I, I think oh. you know he had a writer, but I still think it's his character. Hmm. Cool. So the first opening page, are they like striking a pose? Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. It, it's that that not even really possible in nature to where you would – why wouldn't you just turn around? Why would you twist your entire upper torso to, to look behind you? Why wouldn't you just <laughs> turn your body? And how does Fin Fang Foom – look at the size of him. How does he sneak up on you? Yeah, he's not even in the shot. Anymore. He must be just off panel. Thwack! With fury in its fists. Uh, I'm I'm just kind of going through this, you know, in my, in my mind as I'm looking at it. The artwork to me is acceptable. Like it's nothing special, but I think the storytelling is pretty good. I think it's easy to follow, and I think mm-hmm. it's kind of cool the way he's used other shots from from previous covers. Like uh, on page 16, I'm pretty sure each one of those shots was the cover to a comic. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah, I do see that. I mean, some of them I think I recognize. Like, is the one the last page shot on page fifteen? Is that from a cover too? I think so. Yeah, because I seen you know where he's like bursting out of a uh, some type of uh, Russian or Eastern Bloc country castle or you know village. What I'm confused is, is why was there people already – well, maybe they were jumping out onto the roof because there's like people just standing on a roof. But maybe they jumped out of the window. 
there's one guy in that particular shot. If you look on the bottom right, there's two guys standing on a roof. Right. Then there's then one there's, guy there's like one climbing guy on the roof. standing on like a crumbling roof. There's another guy who's half in the window, half out of the window, who looks like he's wearing a pair of overalls. And there's another guy above him that's going, wah! Oh, and there's another guy on, on, on um, its forearm. You see yeah. it? <laughs> he's a dead man. He's a dead man. Flee for your lives. He lives. The Galantis lives. Says Boris, Dr. Doom's henchman. I mean, uh, concierge. Now, if, if this didn't have an element of nostalgia for me, I'm not sure I would have liked it. But there's no question about it. It's got some serious nostalgia going for it for me. That's yeah. why I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what you think of it. Oh, sorry. I was just looking at some of the ads, to, ads too. Oh, look. Giant-sized chillers. Yeah. Yeah. Me or Scott could have bought that at the uh, at the roadside comics stand if the guy hadn't whipped out the price guide. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fin Fang Foom, he's not, he's not totally consistent. Like, look on page 23. You got three shots of his face. One looks like a Jack Kirby. The next one looks like, uh, I don't know, like, a, just like a, dur, dur, dur. and then the one where he's getting the shots to the head, it's like, you see what I'm saying? It's like three different shots there. Yeah, it, it definitely is. There's definitely a, uh, an inconsistency to how he's drawn. And I think that might be something of them using, like, lifting from other artwork a little bit. Yeah, because the cover, now, is the cover the same artist as the interior? I don't remember if you said so. Was it Dick Ayers? Uh, I think the cover was credited to Larry Lieber. Because it looks very Kirby-ish. At least to me. Yeah, it was, it was credited to Larry Lieber for pencils and Frank Giacoya for inks. I mean, if you just look at the Colossus and Fid Fang Foom, it's really has a Kirby vibe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people don't necessarily, but they are kind of in those Kirby poses. Like the guy that you see his back and his hand is like outstretched towards the two monsters. Like he's going, stop! That's my telephone pole! So. But like, like I said, I mean, I don't know Larry Lieber as an artist. Mm. I always knew him as a writer. So I'm a little confused as to how he would have drawn this, because this, this is a pretty good cover, in my opinion. So well, if, the, if he didn't really work as an artist, you know, and, and he could put together a cover like this on his own, it seems a little, just something isn't right. Well, excuse my, if I sound like an idiot, <laughs> insert joke there. Isn't Larry Lieber Stan's, like, brother, cousin? Yes. Okay, all right. That's what I thought. Stay Not that it had anything to do with this. this. Yet, as we record this, ninety four, yeah, ninety four yesterday. Good for you, Stan. Let's 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 beat out two thousand sixteen and get to the next year. Although I know I saw Matt's post, you know, two thousand sixteen is not a person; it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fish, fish are friends, not food. <laughs> okay. Ape does not kill ape. Oh, wait. Now we're getting totally off topic. All right, you have have anything more on this, or should I rate it? Uh, I guess you could rate it. If I pop anything else up, I'll. Uh, right, I'll... Well, before I, do, I'm just trying to think myself. Doctor Volt was a very two dimensional villain. Not... Well, he should be. He's he's drawn on a comic. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, little science humor there. <sighs> Blaine will appreciate that. So, I mean. Even the you know the romance aspect of it, it's all it's all very you know cheesy soap opera. Yeah, the romance. But... Yeah, and then this, the the subplot with the guy with the with the cigarette what holder. What good? What good? I've never smoked a cigarette in a, a cigarette holder. What's the point? Just to know, look I, snooty. I don't smoke. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was like purely for effect. Could you put a joint in one of those? I th I'm sure you could. Mm, not that I mean I've never actually smoked marijuana. Yes, I have actually not smoked marijuana. I was a raging alcoholic, so <laughs> I was too drunk to roll a joint. <laughs> too drunk to smoke. It's too much work and and physical dexterity. I was hammered. Okay, so now the cover 
as as I said, I think the cover, considering especially when you consider that it's Larry Lieber, I like ex- the cover. It's exceptional. Um, I'm gonna say nostalgia would make me give it an A minus. But if I take the nostalgia aspect out of it, I, I got to drop it down a little because I don't know if for, for anybody else looking at it, I don't know if it's quite as good as that. So I'm going to say a B on the cover, just trying to be more a little more fair. Did well, you... I mean, it really pops with the. I mean, just the title, of the comic. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, it. You know what? Because, like I said, for me, I'd make it an A. I'm dropping it to a B for nostalgia because of the nostalgia effect. But I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back up to a B plus. So I'm gonna say it's it's that good. Um, the interior art is I think it does a nice job with the storytelling, but the individual faces are nothing special. Uh, you know, and, and there there definitely seems to be an effort to use past artwork within it, which I kind of like from a from a you know like from a trivia point of view. But from a reading the story point of view, it takes you out a little bit because some of the changes in style are a little jarring. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say a C plus on the interior art. Story is a little bit stereotypical, nothing really too, too creative about it. But it was just, you know, silver slash bronze age fun. So I'm, I'm going to say a B on the story and overall I'm going to give the book a B. Yeah, I... Cover wise, I before you went back and forth, I was going to give the cover a B plus, just because it's just you know like you said, it just kind of it just jumps at you, especially with the Karate Chop and Fin Fang Foom, new Fin Fang Foom action figure with Karate Chop action, Karate a Chop Chop Chop, <laughs> and e- or, even in Judo Chop 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 Judo Chop Chop Chop. And even with the opening title on the first page with the five claws of death and the the word claws is they changed the font to make it look like actual green claws. Like the C looks like a claw, like a mm-hmm. dragon's claw. The L, the A is made up of three separate dragon claws. The W is made up of three separate claws and the S is made up of two different claws. So that adds up to more than five, though. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, ten. It's one claw for each finger. Wait, does Fin Fang Foom have five fingers? The five-finger death punch from Fin Fang Foom. I'm trying to see if I shot of his hand. He has those magnificent drawing claws. Yeah, he looks like he's got five five fingers on each hand. No, he only has four. Maybe the two claws came from his feet. He's got three fingers and a thumb. If you look at the one after the cop is uh, the page where the cop's shooting at him, the page prior to that, he's only got three fingers and a thumb. No wonder he's mad. <laughs> but he still okay. packs a me- still packs a mean chop. He does. So the interior art um, draws a nice uh, the guy's. Um, fiance in that red dress she looks pretty cute exactly um but yeah a little bit of the inconsistency on the different faces of fin fang foom oh wow i'm doing alliteration all over the place um uh, i don't want to give it a c because i kind of like it so i guess i'm gonna give it a c plus b minus like right in the border there. And then this the story, I mean, you throw out the two little goofy subplots um, with the cigarette smoking guy and the romance. You know, we should have more action in here. More action. More fin fang foom. So um, I'm going to give this story a C plus B minus. So I guess we're looking at a C plus B minus book overall. All right. But really like the cover. Really like the cover, though. So, having done our book, having we'll redisposed, we'll of the see monster, you all next week. Wait, 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 wait! Don't we have some email? Oh, I guess we do. <sighs> I'll take the first one. I'll take the bullet. You take the first one. It's not like it's a really long one. Yeah, relax yourself with the bullet. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't have like them one sentence ones like I get every now and then. Those are great. I, no, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I never get those. <laughs> That's because I look ahead. <laughs> Sometimes, but not tonight. I have maybe, no idea. Maybe, maybe tonight I'll get one. Okay. Ah, it is from Jason Sandberg, and it is entitled Back to the Bins 257. And dear Binsters, we are Binsters. Thank you for covering the Revenge of the Living Monolith. Allow me to cast my vote as someone who prefers the superhero-linked monster stories. The Marvel DC characters and settings are easier to visualize during the synopsis when I haven't read a particular issue you're covering. Hope I eventually hear you cover the Doctor Strange versus Dracula arc from Doctor Strange 60 to 62. I think Bill covered issue 60 a while back. Yes. Uh, was that for uh, – was that this past year or the previous year? Or why did I cover that, Doc? That was that was Doctor Strange 60 with the guest starring the Avengers? I think when that was Dracula, last years. Was it? Was it a vampire so. book? Yeah, because that's where uh, they bust in through the – he swims in through the submarine pen. The, the little-used, seldom-remembered submarine pen in the Avengers Mansion. Uh, the monster versus superhero angle could also give Scott the opportunity to podcast about Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run. Well, they did way back, way back. Him and Chris Honeywell did cover, I believe, some of those around the same time when they were doing uh, Walking Dead Wednesday. Um, it might have been part of Comics Monthly Monday. I remember correctly. You remember, Paul? I know they did some Swamp Thing books, but I couldn't tell you exactly when. Yeah, it was. It's it's been a long it's, it's time. It's far in the rearview mirror at this point. Yeah, Scott mentioned a graphic novel that featured a lovely green lady, but he couldn't recall the title. Uh, that has to be the awesome Heartburst by Roran Rich Veitch. Well, also there was the other graphic novel that had the She-Hulk in it. See, I've been working on that, Paul. That did that sound pretty good? course i get weird looks when i'm doing it on the job site and i'll walk by other construction workers well when you do that if you're doing it doing it in person you have to do the the, the finger gun you got to do the two fingers do you do two fingers or one finger two fingers you put you put the uh, you do it like a gun use your your uh, index finger is the the barrel uh-huh and then the uh your thumb is the hammer gotcha and you start if you really want to be like ultra cool you do both hands at the same time. Well, that's what I was saying. You got to do both. You can't just do one. You can't go. Oh, you can do one, one hand. You can do one hand, but both is ultra cool. Do you do you like blow the smoke out of the end of the barrel? Do you go bang? No, no, no. It's taking it too far. Just like it's me. Because you do I... it as you're walking by them. Ah. So by the by the time you'd be blowing the smoke out, you're already out. You know, you you already have your back to them. But so, yeah, but then so I got to no duck because cool. I could be getting a wrench or a screwdriver thrown at me from some really pissed off dude on a ladder. The, the whole idea is by the time they're, by the time you walked by them, you've already forgotten that you gave them the, the uh, gun. Ah, so I should stick to maybe just doing that. Uh, maybe around the house to my wife. No, you do, you do that too much with your wife. She may think you, you're looking for a little something. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Anyway, the story depicts a human colony that has lost contact with Earth, Earth for several ge generations. Oh, much like my sex life. Oh. Eventually, old television signals reach the distant planet and a religion arises to promote and understand these divine messages from the sponsor. <laughs> the hero of the story rebels from the, from the theocracy when he falls for the aforementioned green lady. Green-eyed lady, passions lady. Na, na, na. I don't remember the words. Boom, 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 boom. Great stuff. I'd ra I'd rather read Rich Veitz. I think I'm saying that right. Veitz, 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 Veitz. Rich Veitz, Veitz. Yeah. Avatar, then watch James Cameron's Avatar. Wait a minute. Rich Veitz, Heartburst, rather than watch James Cameron. James Cameron. My God, can I just kill this sentence any worse? Great stuff. Comma. I'd rather read Rich Veitz Heartburst than watch James Cameron's Avatar. And thank you for helping me, Paul. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> do you think, do you guys think the Marvel graphic novels in the 1980s gave an oomph to the direct market by promoting newsstand readers to seek out comic shops? 
I do. Hmm. I actually do. I think uh, I think it was all part of when when comics actually had a plan, when the comic companies, uh, and I do think that was part of it. I think that was taking. I think in their minds, taking the Treasury Edition books and making them into something a little bit of a higher quality, or albeit smaller, uh, and doing it on a, on a comic store level and, and attracting the hardcore readers to, to do exactly that. Well, at the same time, I, I don't think Marvel did this, but I remember when DC had the new teen Titans and I believe the Legion of superheroes were coming out with a series that took place a year in the future and you yeah, could only get it. The back to paper. Right, right. And oh man, I love those books. Because the big thing was, well, how did we get here? What happens if you had that whole entire year that you had no idea and you were looking – I was looking so forward to what – how did we get to here from here? And you had to wait to get all those books. That was pretty awesome. Well, what they did, like for example with the, the Teen Titans, they changed the – regular series to tales of the teen titans when it i think when it caught up right or was it when it's... no no it's when when they started to publish oh, okay. the the next volume of teen titans well it was new teen titans right so you had new teen titans changed into tales of the teen titans and then new teen titans was started on a new volume with issue one on a baxter paper series yeah and, i want to say the, that happened... the plan was for one year they were both publishing new stories and then the other one became a reprint. But then Tales of the Titans became reprints of the Baxter run after that year to allow mm -hmm. people who didn't have access to comic stores to get those stories. What kind of freaks were they? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> unless, unless I'm, I'm misremembering my comic history, that's the way it occurred. No, no, that, and they, that and they sounds also about did it right. Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, see, I wasn't getting the Legion books. I was getting the Teen Titans book because I had got attracted to that from. A uh, guy that worked in the comic store who was just, you know, um, I think we might have talked a little bit about this when we were on with Tom Penarese, I think, when we covered Teen Titans number 10 where the bomb is coming down on them mm -hmm. on the cover. Right. So, so yeah, that, that was about when I got drawn into that. And I was able to buy all those before they got, like, super expensive. So And, I, and they, had, they had a couple other series that were on Baxter paper, though. There was uh, Vigilante, I think, was pa Baxter. Uh, Omega Men was Baxter. Oh yeah, that's right. I was getting the Omega Men too, but but, but they were but they were just exclusively those the only, Baxter. Right, but those were the only two. But T Titans and Legion were the only two that had that whole m mysterious year thing, to where you didn't know what was. You had to buy, you know, you had to keep buying the other ones until it caught up to to find out what happened in that intervening year. Well, and then they did it eventually with the entire uh, the the entire DC universe. I guess after uh, I guess after Crisis too. Was it after Infinite Crisis? I think. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. What well, was they, it? Was, they, they had the one year, one year later, later books. Yeah, and then you had, or was that with with that with Fifty Two? That was with Fifty Two. Well, didn't Fifty Two fill in the gaps of what had occurred? I don't remember now. Yeah. I, oh, that, hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm not so sure. confused there, there, now. There definitely was something where there was a, a year gap, right? And, and they also kind of did that with Secret Wars. I mean, it's it's you well, know. yeah, that was yeah that they for one issue they were gone, and then they, the next issue and most of the books they came back and everything was changed, and then you had to go and collect that the the eight issue series to find out what happened in that one issue that they were gone and why Spider Man had a black costume and why the Thing left the Fantastic Four and She Hulk was it, there. Yeah. And there were a few yeah. other things. Those are the two that jumped Major out at me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to... I know... Well, and, uh, hmm. Anyway, the question was, do we think that the Marvel graphic novels <laughs> in the 80s gave an oomph to the direct market by prompting new, newsstand readers to seek out comic shops? I think so. Yeah, that's that was my... That's the short answer to it, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, because that's, that's where I think they, they kicked it off with, what, God... God loves, man kills the X Men graphic novel. No, the first, the first one was uh, the death of Captain Marvel. Oh, oh, okay, all right. Sorry, sorry. Then you had New Mutants. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what else was in there, but 
Yeah, there was, I've I mean, got there a was... couple. I've got the uh, the She Hulk one. I don't have the She Hulk one. Oh it's man, that's very sadly. Oh, okay. Well, nice to know. Hmm. Hmm. I think we covered it once on when I was on uh, Comics Monthly Monday. Really? Oh, I think that okay. Was, I think that was a get Chris to read. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, because that's uh, basically the. Well, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't read it. Well, it was where, where some guy usurped power and shield, and he's taking he's he's abusing her basically. Well, yeah, but okay. Well, then I guess you did read it, but it was like uh, some got some like like super intelligent cockroaches were inhabiting yes. like a human. Yes. Bo- okay, all right, yeah. yeah. And then that the helicopter the, the carrier crashes. Okay, all right. Back when I was a semi regular on that show. All right, and our last sentence from Jason is okay. I'm off to change a diaper or wash bottles or trip over some baby toys. <laughs> Have fun with that. Yeah. Well, Jason's so son, if if my memory is accurate. Very recently, just turned one. Mm. So let me, he's, he's let a me cutie keep... from the pictures that uh, the pictures and videos that Jason posts. Well, let me give you a word of advice, my friend. They're okay. They're okay now. Well, wait until they start playing when they get old enough to play with Legos, and they leave them out at, at at night, or it just gets kicked through the house somehow. And when you're stumbling off to the bathroom at two or three in the morning. And your your unsuspecting bare feet are walking on that cold, cold, hard floor, and you step on that one little tiny Lego. That is a pain, unlike something you are just you're just not prepared for that, my friend. So, my advice: wear slippers at all times. Well, he he may have lived this already because this is not Jason's only child. Okay, well then, I'm not sure how old your other kids are, but beware of Legos. I'm not sure if there's any Lego activity, but you know. Or- Oh, it'll come. Or any small, like, you know, like back in it, I don't think kids played with jacks anymore. And, and a rubber no, ball. no. I, I don't think when we were kids, kids played with jacks. Or marbles. Those a little bit. Maybe I've been watching too many Little Rascals or something. I think so. Oh, taste, Banky. Next email. Okay, let's see. What have we got next? I think this is where I finally get to do a short one. Oh, man. Yep, from our friend Socrates Alvarez. So great. Good evening, guys. I recently got a few JLA back issues from eBay. JLA 182 to 185. The letters column of 184, of issue 184, was dedicated to the passing of Dick Dillon. I flipped through older issues to review the art after reading the dedications. What do you guys think of Mr. Dillon's art style? Guys like Dylan, Aparo, Lopez were great DC artists. Best regards, so- Socrates or Socrates, S. Alvarez III. Um, yeah, I I always liked the Dick Dylan art style. I always thought, in many ways, a lot of what he did reminded me a little bit of Aparo. In, in, you know, in, in a different way, like you wouldn't really confuse the two, but like they were just indicative to me of that era. Hmm. If that makes any sense, like that's that's what I picture for DC in that era. I think of Dick Dillon. I think of Jim Aparo. I think of Kurt Swan. See, I maybe I could pick out Dick Dillon. Like I I could pick out Kurt Swan and, and Aparo, and most likely Lo, Mr. Lopez because I remember he followed per- Perez on Teen Titans. Um, but I don't know if I could pick out a. Was Perhaps Dylan one of the Mike ones Red. that 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 had usually did like the did the barrel chested figures? Uh, that was more uh, Swan. Well, Swan did a little bit of that, but uh, I'm trying to think of Wayne Boring was the big barrel chested. Boring, Superman that's guy. the one. I think I was associating the yeah B with barrel chested Boring. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a Dick Dylan book I've read. I wonder if that Superman one I brought. No, I think that was Kurt Swan. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we put the lock up at thirty thousand feet. Pick, you know, basically picture earlier JLA books, like around the low one hundreds, or uh, the uh, in uh, World's Finest when they did the Super Sons. That's another. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I can picture that now. Hmm. 
I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was good stuff. We sound like uh, Chris Farley with with Paul McCartney. Remember when you grew that when you drew that stuff? Yeah, yeah, that was great. I think I went a little further than that when I started talking about him being one of the people who I associate with that era. Okay, all right. But you go ahead and criticize Bill because you said, uh, I don't know, was he barrel chested? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said enough. Uh, you want to read one more? Sure, what we got here? Oh, go ahead, it's, it's from... a nice long one. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Swiping, no, swiping. Ah, back to the bins, number 258, 2016 Horror Month, Week 4, Ghosts. And it comes from Russell Bragg. He's the man. We, you know, we, I think we might need a little Russell Bragg theme song for whenever we read, we read an email from him. What about the Commander McBragg from, uh, or what, you mean sing one? or? Well, it's like we don't hear from, uh, what's his name anymore, uh, uh. Oh, so I'm drawing a blank. The young young kid who used to we we we, we abused Jason Trenner. Jason Trenner. We we don't hear much from Jason anymore, but he because he started all his emails with the not spam thing. So I used to play the spam. Oh, that's right. The spam song from Monty Python when his emails came up. Hmm. Well, because they had Commander McBrag, which is spelled pretty much the same, just an MC in front of it. From uh, the old, I think that was Rocky and Bullwinkle. I believe it was from Underdog. Was it under? Oh, yep, yep, yep. You're right. You're under. Like, sorry, See, I just and I just go right to the underdog theme song with ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't remember all the words. Underdog, Russell Bragg, Russell Bragg, Russell Bragg. Sends us email. Power of thunder, fighting all who rob and blunder. Underdog. Supposed to change it to Russell Bragg. Sending emails like no under. Russell Bragg. Russell Bragg. Hey guys, mine is Scott. Well, it's just like tonight. Oh, I thought you might have Ghost Rider on this ghost-centered episode, but I was wrong. It wouldn't have mattered to me anyway. I know as much about Ghost Rider as I do either Silver Surfer or the West Coast Avengers. I think Bill mentioned an East Coast Avengers too. Was there North by Northwest Avengers? <laughs> hey, is that a movie reference, Russell? I don't know about anyone else, but I do listen to the end credits. You never know what Paul is going to find. Sorry, Bill. I think it's funny. I don't even know what you put in that. I don't even remember. You have all these sound clips you have at hand that you just spring on me. 
I love all the Bugs Bunny references lately. I remember the Hocus Pocus abracadabra very well. The cartoon was titled Transylvania 63000 from 1963. For listeners who don't know, it is a short Merry Metalese animated film directed by Chuck Jones and starring Bugs Bunny. Bug dem- Bugs demonstrates how to handle a pesky vampire with six simple magic incantations. The title is a pun on Pennsylvania 65000, a song made famous by Glenn Miller and referring to the old telephone numbered system of an exchange of two letters plus a digit instead of a three-digit exchange. Example, PE65000 versus TR65000. Not to be confused with the T1000. Wait, that, never mind. <laughs> Bugs unknowingly transform the vampire into a bat by saying abracadabra, and the vampire says says hocus pocus to return to normal. It always cracks me up that Bugs always thinks it's a mosquito, not a bat. He's always f- fly swatting or bug spraying the vampire bat with humorous effects. It puts me to mi- to mind of a Pink Panther cartoon where Pink Panther deals with a vampire. <laughs> I remember that one. It was called Pink Plasma from 1975. I think what cracked me up most was the vampire's only words were blah, blah, blah. You remember that one, Paul? Yeah, kind of. Blah, Not very blah, clearly, blah. but I kind of remember it. He would just jump out and chase it. Blah, blah, blah. Ah, memories. I, of course, don't have either of your books, so we don't need to say any more. That is still my goal to someday have all three books when Scott is there. Thanks so much for saying, and it wouldn't be a show unless we heard from Russell Bragg. Bum, 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 bum. It really means a lot that uh, it means a lot that hearing from me means a lot to you. I can sympathize with Trevor Williams about remembering what you want to say in an email. About, oh, about remembering what you want to say in an email. Period. <laughs> Pause for effect. I I always have that problem when I'm when I'm not when when I'm not able to take notes. Sometimes I'll even re-listen just so I can write things down that I want to bring up. As for episode 300, how far away are we from 300? Well, this is, we're, we're coming up on 270. Wow. So are we going to like dress up like, uh, you know, Spartans, you know? Maybe. This is Pins. Oh. Ow. <laughs> I hit my finger. Ow. Ow. I would, ow, I would be all in I can't read anymore. My finger hurts. Oh, I got a paper cut. What kind of a Spartan am I? I can't go to war. I have a paper cut. No, I, I have, my skin dries up, especially in the winter, and I get this big patch of raw skin on the tip of my finger, and I smacked my finger right on the point corner of my desk into that raw, oh, you need Ooh, some hurt. Mountain Dew moisturizer. Uh, I would be all in favor. See now, now I'm the reading wounded. <laughs> would be all in favor of a dramatized reading of some sort. I'm not a Conan the Barbarian fan, but I'd listen. But but I'd still listen. If I come up with an alternative, I'll let you know. You could dramatize the Trial of the Flash storyline. <laughs> Wait, isn't that really long? According to my calculations, if you don't have any special episodes, episode 300 would take place in August 12th, would take place on August 12th, 2017. Hmm. Does that sound about right? I guess. Well, but you, but you know we that's will not have counting. some special episodes or some Avengers spotlights or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, well, we still got plenty, plenty of time. We got like 30 weeks. We're good. I thought of Billy Batson, John Paul Val- Valley, and Alan Scott for your name and comics. Alan Scott. Alan Scott. Scott. Scott's might be stretching it a bit. I guess that's all I got for this time around. Thank you for keeping me entertained at work or while I'm at home. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. And as always, thank you, Russell. Because you know what? It wouldn't be an episode if Russell didn't write in. Russell Bragg, Russell Bragg, Russell Bragg. Well, let's, we... let's squeeze in one more before we call it a night. <laughs> no, no, I was, that was the perfect end of the show. But the next one is from Russell Bragg. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm tired of this song already. <laughs>
<laughs> the next one says, hey guys, great show as always. Wow, Scott's there. Hi, Scott. And some other guy, Matt Hunsworth. What a way to end Horror Month for 2016. I have Superman World War of the Worlds in trade paperback form. A miracle! Oh, sorry. I will wait a moment for each of you to pick yourselves up off the floor since I know you all just fell out of your chairs because I actually have a book you talked about. I really haven't gotten into it since well, you I know... bought it way back when, but your coverage was outstanding, and I was able to easily follow the story. Well, you know what? Every now and then, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. That's all I got to say. I would not call myself a War of the Worlds aficionado, but it's one of my favorite H.G. Wells stories. I might have mentioned my love for old-time radio before. That's where I first learned about the story. Orson Welles did it on Mercury Theater on the Air in 1938 and freaked out the world. I have the special CD of it, which includes an interview with Orson and H.G. Wells himself. I also have the full cast production of War of the Worlds from L.A. Theater Works, featuring Leonard Nimoy and Gates McFadden. Just before writing, I was watching the tail end of the 1953 War of the Worlds movie. It's goofy, but pretty much right out of the right on with the book. I don't have it on DVD slash Blu-ray yet, but hope to someday. You brought up Jimmy Olsen's first appearance. He appeared on the radio show before he ever showed up in the comics. According to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, that was on April 15, 1940, and mainly so the Man of Steel would have someone to talk to. I enjoyed this entire horror month. It was fun. I'm sure you will do it again next year, but until then, I eagerly await next week's episode. Thanks for keeping me entertained at work, and to reword what Orson Welles used to say, I remain your humble listener. Russell Bullet Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that that's why they had uh, that Jimmy was there. But that makes sense so that Superman would have somebody to to basically explain the story to without seeming like he was crazy talking to himself. Kind of like in Doctor Who to where they always have an, have a companion that asks the question so that the audience doesn't, ha- you know, like, what is this or where are we? Or it's like Basil this. Exposition. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's always well. It's always good to have a point of view character, and I guess that's what Jimmy was meant to be. Hmm. 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 We're gonna go for one more. Yeah, yeah go for it. It's a short one. And you know what? Shockingly, it's from Russell Bragg. There you go. Bum, bum, Speed bum, of bum, lightning, bum. words of thunder. Russell writes, and we all wonder. Russell Bragg. Uh, Russell Bragg His email Hey guys uh, oh, Back to the bins 261 Luke Cage Hey guys It was nice to hear from Luke Giaconetti again Call me naive But I got it But I but I got it figured out Dr. Bill does always have a comic to present But you guys just say he does it As your podcast gimmick Right. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Pretty much like when I tell you I don't have the comic or never heard the movie quote. A slight pause here while you pick yourselves up off the floor after your minutes-long hysterical laughing. <laughs> I'm glad you edited that out, Paul. I might as well tell you that I know nothing about Luke Cage except when I hear about him on Back to the Bins. I think Paul has brought a few of those comics to the table. I'm assuming this Luke Cage show is only on Netflix. Yes, that is true, which Russell does not get. So do you just not get Netflix or you just don't get Netflix as to what it is? Oh, anyway, <laughs> so unless it comes it comes to DVD or Blu-ray, I'll probably never get to see it. I enjoyed the comics you talked about and the humorous banter amongst you. I think Luke really enjoys verbally tussling, tussling with Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill. I, I verbally tussled with myself. I think everybody likes verbally tussling with Dr. Bill. <laughs> I may be wrong, but I believe this was the first time you had two straight score episodes. Yep, I believe it is. That was. Fine by me. I love learning about characters I'm not too familiar with. Keep up the great work, and thank you for keeping me entertained. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Present Show. And that, I don't know. 
We've you only got, got like a, another 17 more Russell. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Russell's our, our Russell. I, I'm going to say Russell's everybody's favorite listener. No, he's my favorite listener. It's mine. It's mine. It's not your favorite. It's mine. Well, I can't have anything. Why can't I have Russell? You I want Russell have... in. I want Russell in the divorce. <laughs> you get custody of Russell. I want custody of Russell. You can have Jason Sandberg and Jason Trenner. You get the two jet. You get the twins. I want Russell. <laughs> you could have Russell, but you'll have to take Luke with him. Okay. All right. Done. But they're both as... headed down. They're both headed down to Florida now. Who Who are we giving to Scott? Or Scott doesn't get any. He gets. He gets nothing. He gets. Um... Hmm. I think he gets Honeywell. He deserves him. That's yeah, yeah. They deserve each other. Well, that's all we got for this this evening, fine listeners. We hope you've enjoyed our little program and return with us next time. Next time. Wait, I'm stealing Andy's bit. Next time when uh, we'll have an all new episode of something or other. That's all I can promise you is it'll be a new episode. What's what we're gonna cover? I don't know. Nobody knows. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.